So, I've got Amos part three. Stu has done an introduction and then parts one and two of, of quite a challenging book. Um, it was a, a tough choice of book when we, when we chose it. We recognized, you know, it was about time we, we did something. We've done New Testament stuff. So Amos is, is, is a good one to get our teeth into. And it's got a message for us at this time, we believe. You know, this is about Woody, where it is now. And if you recall what Stuart's told us so far, this is, this is God's word. It's, it's a message for his people in that place thousands of years ago, but for where we are now, well, that's the same. And it's looking for their response to God. What was their response in all of this? And then linked to that, of course, is what's our response now, reading this ancient message? What's our response? I'm going to start by reading through Amos 3, and I'm going to go back over the two verses that Stu covered. So I'm going to go right from the beginning. Hear this word, people of Israel, the word the Lord has spoken against you, against the whole family I brought up out of Egypt. You only have I chosen of all the families of earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your sins. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? Does a lion roar in the thicket when it has no prey? Does it growl in its den when it has caught nothing? Does a bird swoop down on a trap on the ground when there is no bait? Does a trap spring up from the ground if it has not caught anything? When a trumpet sounds in a city, do not the people tremble? When disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared. Who will not fear? The sovereign Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? Proclaim to the fortresses of Ashdod and to the fortresses of Egypt. Assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria. See the great unrest within her and the oppression among her people. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord, who store up in their fortresses what they have plundered and looted. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. An enemy will overrun your land, pull down your strongholds and plunder your fortresses. This is what the Lord says. As a shepherd rescues from the lion's mouth only two leg bones or a piece of an ear, so will the Israelites living in Samaria be rescued with only the head of a bed and a piece of fabric from a couch. Hear this and testify against the descendants of Jacob, declares the Lord, the Lord God Almighty. On the day I punish Israel for her sins, I will destroy the altars of Bethel. The horns of the altar will be cut off and fall to the ground. I will tear down the winter house along with the summer house. The houses adorned with ivory will be destroyed and the mansions will be demolished. 
declares the Lord. We have been blessed with our two children. There is somewhere a point to go, I promise. We've been blessed with our two children. Um, you've seen Darcy and Charlotte walking around. And we are blessed that they respect us and they listen to our advice. They take on our wisdom and our warnings. And they might not feel that same with everybody, but that's who they are. And I know with, with my children, with Darcy and Charlotte, I have been firmer with them than I am with other children. With the wonderful children here, I wouldn't speak to them the same way I treat my girls. And I've always said I, I couldn't teach my own girls. I wouldn't want them in my class because I would probably be harsher on them than the other children to prove I'm not being favoritist. And these girls, they, they know our expectations. They know they can get around my mum, around grandma. They know she is more lenient. They can get around her. They know our expectations. And just as I started doing this passage, quite a while ago actually, it occurred to me that it feels like God expressing something to his children in the same way. Those children who he loves, those children who know his expectations, because right from the start of humanity, God chose to be with humankind. We know that. And it was humans who chose to walk away. And yet, God still wants that relationship. He chose to be in relationship with them. He rescued them from Egypt initially and then later through Jesus. He pursued those people, that chosen people. He pursued them. He wanted them. And then he guided them through the prophets. And Amos represents one of those that he guided them through the prophets and the judges and the kings, those people at the time who were hearing the messages of God to give to the people. And his intention never changed. The words that he was saying to them never changed. He was saying to them, you are mine. You are special. He had made a claim on them. He had put them aside. The people of Israel were, were his. In this, you see, God gave them a special closeness to him. And he gave them responsibility. He gave them responsibility in that closeness of relationship to care for the earth and to care for the community that they were in. And in that, they were caring for each other. But they didn't. And if you go back and listen to what Stu's been telling us, actually, it was not just that they didn't care for. They went to the opposite end, and, and there was abuse of the people within the communities and the people around. They neglected them. They, they mistreated them. It, there's a question there that when I was writing this, I thought, did they believe, perhaps, that because they were God's chosen people, that maybe he'd overlooked their sin? that they were special, so that was okay. They hadn't listened to all of those laws and the statutes that Stuart referred to last week. Those instructions. God gave those people very specific instructions. Read through Deuteronomy, read through Leviticus, those books with such clear instructions. And the people disregarded it. 
One of the commentators I read is, is on the screen now. This, it says, God made a clear connection between the great privilege of Israel and the great responsibility this privilege brings. That they weren't special, therefore up on a pedestal and they could do what they want. They had a responsibility. A responsibility that came from being in that special place because they were in relationship with God. And even just reading that bit, reading the whole of this, I don't know if you noticed what I titled this talk. Because as I was reading this about privilege and responsibility, another quote came to mind, and this one's far more recent. And this one's from somebody called Ben Parker. Back in 1979, it's quoted. And it's, with great power comes great responsibility. And of course, that's Spider-Man, which isn't very biblical, and I'm not going to apologize, because there's no way I could... I could talk about this and read this and re recognize the power and the responsibility, the privilege and the responsibility in that story. I, I love the whole Spider-Man thing. I love Marvel comics and all that kind of stuff. Thank you, Barry, for representing today. It's, it's a big thing. And then through the nursery rhymes, the number of spider references. Apologize to anyone um, with arachnophobia. Spiders have appeared today. So where is Peter Parker? He learned lessons from old Uncle Ben and became the friendly, neighborhood, amazing Spider-Man. Israel didn't. Israel didn't listen to this advice, didn't take on the responsibility and the privilege. In fact, they continued to abuse that privilege and the people in the community. And consequently, God was angry. And we've spent a couple of weeks, especially that first week, that introduction, where Stu went through and, and we saw that target, the target of the area that's come right down to where it is now, this bullseye in the middle of that map. That God's focused right in on those people. The people of Israel, they are the focus of God's anger. And then we've got verses three to six of the passage. And it's a bit of a but a bit of an odd thing in this, this description of God's anger to have these statements that are, obviously this happens. They're, they're statements that make it clear that things happen for a reason. When I teach my lessons, we teach science and that kind of thing, and we, we talk about the cause and consequence of everything. And as grown-ups, I'm sure we understand that there is a consequence when things happen. And the examples Amos gives are, that people go for a stroll together, they go for a walk because they want to. I doubt any of you, if you go for a walk with a friend, it'll, you'll be forced into it or manhandled into walking down the road. You choose to go for a walk together. Lions will growl when there's prey around and they'll roar when there isn't. And Birds will get the food if it's there. We've got a bird feeder in our garden. It's lovely to see them come in and, and take the If the food is there, they'll take it. Not me. However, if there's a trap set, it's not going to spring unless something sets it off. That trap will, will need to be sprung by something. And then you've got that message that the people would have been more aware than we are about, about the trumpet sounding. They would have had warning trumpets in and around the towns and the cities. The warnings that something had to get their attention, maybe an attack or something going on. The trumpets would sound to give a warning. 
the cause and the consequence. Something was happening because something had already been done. And I got very, very challenged reading this. Verse 7 was the most challenging for me reading through this because it says, verse 7, I'll remind you, says, disaster comes to a city because God has caused it. And I tried looking through different translations. I, I had a look at online and on the Bibles I've got for different ways that verse 7 is written, but there's no softening of it. There's no let out. That God punishes when in his anger. God has to punish, and suffering follows. Suffering is a consequence of God's, of God's anger, of God's punishment. And I'm challenged because I would always say that God doesn't cause harm. And actually here you can read it is that it's hard. I've, I'm still struggling with this. But I think it's plain to say that not all suffering is caused by God. No, I, I don't think that's right to say. In this situation, Amos is making it plain that the suffering has come or is coming to the people of Israel because of their disobedience, because of their disregard. It's a case of God warned you and discipline's going to follow. And if you actually read back through how many prophets and judges and kings and people and God himself has spoken to the people, there were so many warnings. Time and time and time again, God warned the people. This wasn't a one warning, now I'm getting cross. Adam and Eve didn't obey God. There was a warning. Moses literally had written in stone how not to disobey God. And the people of Israel got complacent with this whole history that they would have known. And the complacency led people to ignore and abuse and act so unjustly. They couldn't go unpunished in God's eyes. God is holy. We sing it. We know it. God is holy. God is above all of the standards that we can come to. God cannot have sin and that injustice near him. So he warns and then he punishes. In school, I have a reputation for being a bit of a disciplinarian. Is the a picture of not me? Because I think... Uh, <laughs> I am a disciplinarian, and here's a teacher I found online. I don't know who she is, bless her. But she's there, and I just wanted you to have it, because it might have been a long time since some of you are on a playground in this situation. But I have to deal with, almost daily, arguments and disagreements and fights, because I work in a place where there are children learning to cope with everyone else, with other children who don't think like them and actually are quite horrible to them. And I have to be the person, the disciplinarian, who steps in to stop children getting hurt. So they learn a lesson about how to treat other people, about how to be treated themselves. And quite often, these children are learning to cope with this injustice, whether it's perceived or real, and they will put the blame on someone else. If I could go back over the 20 so years I've been teaching, nine out of 10 times, the child will say, it wasn't my fault, they did it first. It wasn't me, it was them. And I hear myself saying it with, in, with my brother even, as a grown-up, it's ridiculous when my mum tells us off. But it happens. These children are saying, it wasn't me, it was them. It wasn't, it wasn't my fault. 
it doesn't wash as a teacher. It doesn't, you know, I, I you'd go through all the old cliches of, well, if they jumped out of a window, would you follow them? All that kind of thing. Because I tried to get them to understand you have an individual responsibility, even the smallest person, the four and five-year-olds have an individual responsibility to do what's right. To be that bigger person, if you're being hurt, if you're upset, to, to stand up for yourself to an extent, but then to go and either find help or walk away, to not get into a scrap about it. And it sounds like Israel's trying a bit of that, wasn't it? The Amos's words, as we get down here, are perhaps a little bit sarcastic. Him saying the protest that they were having about, oh, but, but, but look at Israel, uh, sorry, Egypt. Look at the surrounding areas. And you can imagine saying, oh, but the Philistines did it first. They started it. And Amos, in verses 9 to 10, points the finger at them and says, do you know what? You're not morally superior. You are not better than those because of what you're doing. You're special because of your relationship with God. That is what sets you aside. What you're doing puts you on an equal footing with them. God wants Israel to know that they aren't on this moral high ground. Why were they associating themselves with these brutal, corrupt nations? God points out, they don't know how to do right. What are you following them for? I've given you instruction. What are you following their example for? When God had given Israel this privileged relationship, all of that responsibility went with it. The responsibility to do right and to take that responsibility, to take responsibility for their actions. Which takes us back to Spider-Man. Of course it does. Peter Parker could have done anything he wanted to with the powers he got from that little spider bite. If you don't know the Spider-Man story, I'm so sorry I'm talking out of context for you. But I would have thought lots of you would understand even a little bit. Spider-Man, man, bite spider powers. Peter Parker is Spider-Man, and he could have done anything with the powers he had. He could have made himself rich. He could have gone out and, and become the most famous person as Peter Parker on the planet. He could have become infamous by doing things he knew wasn't right, but using his powers. He could have shown off these powers and become a, a grandiose star. He could have gained that notoriety based on the powers he had got. But actually, that would be betraying all that he had been brought up to be. You see, Peter Parker was taught to be morally right. Uncle Ben and Aunt May, who were raising him, had raised him to be a good man, a good boy and a good man, and he had that moral responsibility. So when he got these powers, he had to make that decision. He had to choose to use his powers for good. He had to not only recognize right from wrong, but to make the decisions to use his power to uphold justice. Even in the face of these brutal villains who want to beat him, and, and, and even in the face, actually, when you read the stories of coming from a really quite poor background. He doesn't have any money. And then he chooses anonymity. Peter Parker chooses to be a, an unknown. 
Time and time again, he has to deal with this. Deal with the choices he makes, deal with the decisions, even though within his grasp is that power to do whatever he wanted. And so Israel had to face the consequences of their actions. With all that power and all that responsibility and all that privilege, they had to take responsibility. And history tells us, actually, that the Assyrian Empire swept across Israel about 40 or so years later, and they brought some of that destruction that Amos was talking about, that actually what God had said was going to happen happened through the Assyrian Empire and, and others. And what would be left of Israel would survive. Because God had given us privilege, he said, I won't completely destroy you. Because God loved them. God loves those people. And he has a special place. You are mine, you are special. It wouldn't be pretty. What was going to happen was not going to be pretty at all. But the discipline that they, they experienced would serve as a, as a lesson for the generations to come year after year. We've got this passage from 11 to 15, which is quite graphic if you think about it. It literally describes the nation being torn apart until only pieces remain to be picked at. And the pieces are proof of what has happened. Because turning their back on this great privilege and this great responsibility, it's not a good idea. Israel had to learn a lesson. But what can we take for it from this, sorry? What's the message for Woody from uh, Amos 3 here? Because I think we have been given a great privilege, as well as relationship with God, which is the greatest privilege. It's amazing. And those of us who know it are in this privileged relationship, and we have responsibility. What do we do with that? We have a privilege of being in this place, in this community as a church. We celebrated our, celebrate, we conducted our 142nd AGM the other day. 142 years there has been a church in this area that looked, or looks very different every year at the moment. The people in this place, 142 years. What a privilege to be here. We've got these doors that can open onto a community and that video that Laura shared shows people from all over the city and all over various communities coming together. And that's just little acorns. If you look around the room at our community, our Woody Fellowship, very few of us live in, in this area. We come because this is our family. This is our community. And we have a privilege to be here, freedom to celebrate and worship God here. In a few weeks, we're going to celebrate our growing children here, that Hope's dedication is in a few weeks. Very excited. That's going to be great. It's going to be a massive celebration. I hear there's quite a good um, preacher coming on that day. No, I don't. It's me. Sorry, folks. That's, uh... um, but Hope's dedication, we recognize that we've got children in our church growing through what's going the future of our church, and that's a privilege. It's why in the last few months and weeks we've been looking at how we do church to put children at a center and say, look how important our children are. 
We've got prophecies, and prophecies that are years old over our church, about being a place where hurting and broken people can come in. And that's all of us at some point. But there are people outside there who need to hear that, who need that message, and they might not feel free to come in. We need to be ready to speak to them. We have a privilege. We've also had prophecies about treasure being buried here. Before you come with a pickaxe and a bulldozer, I don't think there's literal treasure. But think of the ways that treasure is buried within this church, within us. What we have that God has given us, the responsibilities, the privileges, the joys that we have to share, there's treasure buried within us. And we have a responsibility to do something with it. We have this great responsibility to seek God's will that in everything we do, in all the decisions we make, we seek God's will. That's our responsibility, to listen to his voice. And we do that as individuals. When we were looking at our 4P series, that, that thing of prayer and presence, knowing God's presence and being responsible in your own life, for having quiet times and listening to the word of God for, for you, but also that message might be then for us as a church. We have a responsibility to pray together and to, to listen for God's word for us as a church. It's not just us leaders. It's not just us standing at the front who get the microphone. Come and share with us. Share what you feel God is saying. We'll discern it. We'll, we'll test it, which is what we need to do. We put messages out through the various groups. And if you're not part of a WhatsApp group or an email group or the Facebook group and you'd like to be, talk to us. Because when the messages go out, that's for you to test and to discern and see if God is speaking through that. We have a responsibility to listen. And then the prayer meetings that are happening on Thursdays. So far, there's been a sense that God is turning up. Well, God's always here. When I say God's turning up, we are turning up and, and tuning into God that those prayer meetings are a time when God's Holy Spirit is sharing and bringing gifts. And we have a responsibility to be part of that. We have a responsibility to act in service and in joy doing what God has guided us to do. Here we are. We've been worshipping this morning and having a bit of fun with nursery rhymes and, and big things. It's brilliant. This is what we do. We have joy in this place. There are seasons when it will be sad. There are seasons when we will cry together. But I feel this is a season of joy that we are celebrating together. We have a responsibility to, to be joyful. And we have a responsibility to put others before ourselves. And sometimes that's sacrificially. Sometimes it's looking around and seeing that we can do things for others. We've already had food bank mentioned and the lovely students within our population that we can cook for them, we can be something for them to serve others in our community, to look out for them. God has given us a responsibility. And we have a responsibility to celebrate. Just, I, the sentence I've put here is the incredible fact that God has chosen us. What a responsibility to celebrate that, to, to say, look what God has done for us. He's shown us his way through Jesus and through Jesus' death, and then through the resurrection, given us freedom to come close to God, even though we are sinful, even though we do things that are wrong. Because of what Jesus has done, we can come close to him. 
The message is about responsibility and privilege. And hopefully there's a bit of a challenge as well as the joy of, of what do we do then? How do we take that responsibility within our community and outside? I'm going to pray and then I think we'll have a couple of moments of, of quiet to respond and just listen to God. And don't worry about the children. They're going to make noise. We don't want to silence them. That might actually help you focus on something. I don't know. But I'm just going to lead us in a prayer. Look back at how you have blessed groups of people and then the entirety of humankind with your love. Thank you that in this place, as Woody, we recognize that you love us and that you've given us responsibilities that through the years we've had responsibilities for big groups of students and for older people and for families. Thank you that at this time you are giving us responsibility and the privilege of responsibility in that place. Help us to learn the example of the people of Israel as Amos described it, where they got it so wrong where the discipline that happened had to happen to set right what was going on. That the suffering that was caused was painful, but was caused because of their, their disregard for who you are in your holiness. Help us to see the lesson in this, Lord God, and to, to come before you in reverence, in humility, to know that you are God, to know that you love us and you have given us everything we need. As we pray now, Lord God, as we spend a couple of minutes before communion, I pray, Lord God, that we will be able to come before you and, and say thank you for the, the amazing privileges you've given us and the responsibilities you've given us. And sorry for the things you know we have we have done or we haven't done. As we take time to search our hearts, Lord God, guide us and talk to us in your gentle mercy, knowing that we come before our loving, kind Saviour who wants us in closeness. We praise you, Lord God. Amen. Amen.